Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. This time we have Hans Georg Hoprich with us again, who will preach about being a portrait of a servant. As a serving heart is this year's vision for Grace Church, what do we learn about being a servant in Matthew 5? And how can we answer questions like, does my life make any difference to people around me? Do I care for others? How about my struggles and what are my priorities in life? Well, join us now for part one of this two-part sermon. Well, it's always a, a privilege to be with you um, today. I, uh, there isn't even a translator, so I've got a little bit more time, I guess. <laughs> I hope I don't bother you with uh, my extension of uh, time, uh, but... Uh, well, we just came back uh, from South Tyrolia, Tyrolia last week on Wednesday. We were asked to do a wedding service uh, with a young couple that we uh, saw the first time last Friday evening. Um, because of Corona, we couldn't really get on in, in talking uh, in person. So we managed to see them on Friday night first time. And the next day, of course, we... I had to do the, the wedding service, the, the blessing uh, on them, and we had a very, very special time. And as you know, my heart is um, always to do some kind of uh, evangelistic put-in input. And uh, so this time I used a peg. You know what a peg is? You know, where you put on the laundry? And uh, because they asked me to talk about a passage in scriptures in Hebrew 10.24 where uh, the writer of Hebrews says, stir yourself uh, on in love. And the Greek word that is used uh, there is, of course, agape, um, the special word of love. For God so much love the, the world. It's the same word, agape. Uh, it's uh, uh, it's different. Uh, in German, of course, we have only Liebe, but in uh, in Greek we have different words, uh, filio, the friendship, and uh, all sorts of other names. But here, agape was used. And you see, um, uh, you know, if you do hang up the laundry and you uh, use uh, a clip, to hang up the laundry, the clip must be, you, you need to open it up. If the clip is not opening up, you cannot use it. And it's the same, you know, we need to open up towards the agape, towards the love of Christ. If we do not open up, you know where we are heading towards? We're heading towards hell. So it's a very serious thing. We need to open up. And, um, well, uh, we had lots of good talks um, with those attending uh, the wedding. And, uh, and then on Sunday morning, just last week, we had a kind of an open-air service in Bolzano, in Bozen, with uh, brothers and sisters there uh, in a garden, backyard, somewhere outside of Bolzano in South uh, Tyrolia. They were just getting ready for um, a, a baptismal service in a couple of weeks. So 
uh, we had uh, the best of our time, and they also gave us a couple of days outside of Bolzana to spend and to relax a little bit. So, well, we are relaxed now, so let's get on with the job. <laughs> well, my brothers and, and, and sisters, um, uh, well, uh, your topic is during this year is servanthood, service, serving one another. So um, last time and the last two times I, I was talking about giving. And uh, I hope you still remember some of the things we talked then about the way of giving because God has given us everything. It's only as we receive we can we can give. It's only when we have received that uh, we can give. Give towards others. Give to one another. Now, this morning, I want to uh, get on with your yearly topic again in, in talking about a very important uh, passage in Scripture. It, I think personally it's one of the most important passage in Scripture that is the Sermon on the Mount. It's probably the best known part of teaching of the Lord Jesus. Though arguably it is the least understood and certainly it is the least obeyed. So let's bow before we look into this passage of Scripture. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've called us out of hopelessness. You called us to be your children. And we thank you for the time we can share together this morning. And indeed, we are reminded to the Sermon on the Mount where many people were sitting and listening to what you had to say to them. And today and this morning, we do the same. We're sitting and listening to what you want to say to us. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, open our heart and mind so that this message of grace can enter our hearts. And that we can follow as disciples of Christ in your footsteps. We thank you for being with us this morning. And uh, we thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if there is one word you want to put this whole sermon into it, um, there's one word uh, Jesus wants to bring across. He, he wants to tell us he wanted them, those that were listening. And I hope we are listening also. Um, he wanted them to be different. And that's a word you we may hear this morning a couple of times. Be different. Jesus emphasized that to his true followers. Um, uh, uh, they were to be entirely 
different from others. They were not to take this very key word from the people around them, but from himself. And in doing so, they would prove to be genuine children of the heavenly Father. To me, the, the key of the Sermon of the Mount um, in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 5 to 7 um, is in Matthew 6, 8, where Jesus says, Do not be like them. Be different. Be different. This is God's word to, to Israel from times on and on again. You shall not do as they do. And today, here and there, it is the same call of the living God. Thus, the followers of Jesus are to be different. Different from both the nominal church and the secular world. Different from both the religious and the irreligious. The Sermon on the Mount is the most complete um, delineation anywhere in the New Testament of the Christian counter council and the counter culture. Here is a, a Christian value system. Here is a ethical standard, um, a religious devotion. There is an attitude towards money. There is an ambition of lifestyle. And of course, um, that comes with it um, a whole network of relationships. All of which are totally in variance with those of the non-Christian world. For a deeper understanding of what it means to be different as servants of Christ, let us focus this morning, let us focus our attention on the opening section of Jesus' sermon on the four forced beatitudes. The four first attitudes. And regarding the beatitudes, uh, I made um, three observations about these beatitudes. Using um, these, you know, he, he used uh, eight uh, Beatitudes altogether, so he uses a brush strokes rich in diversity and, and depth. Jesus leaves us a portrait, and this is why I called, um, I put a headline to, to this sermon, the, the portrait of a, of a servant. Um, we can note three characteristics uh, that are true for each um, uh, facet. And the first one, each of the, of the Beatitudes, Beatitudes faced, identifies true servants. 
each of the Beatitudes faced identifies true servants. And with each of the Beatitudes, there is there are three words going with it saying, Blessed are. Blessed are. The curtains are pulled back a little farther to give us a broader perspective on the distinctive marks of the quality of authentic servanthood. By the way, every Christian should cultivate these features and attributes. And not just one or two. Mind you, but all eight of them. We cannot pick and choose from Jesus' teaching as he were offering the Beatitudes in a buffet line. No. Uh, first, each of the Beatitudes facet identifies true servants. And secondly, each of the Beatitudes opens the door to inner happiness. Blessed, he says. He says a second time, blessed. He says a third time, the Lord Jesus says, blessed. Eight times he said, blessed. This is the only time in Christ's teachings where he repeats the same term eight times. And you can read uh, the passage in Matthew uh, 5, 3 to 10. And let's uh, read it first before we go into some details. Matthew 5, 3 to 10. And I read it uh, from a, a paraphrased um, translation, the Living Bible. It says, He humble men are very fortunate, he told them, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. Those who mourn are fortunate, for they shall be comforted. The meek and lowly are fortunate, for the whole wide world belongs to them. Happy are those who long to be just and good, for they shall be completely satisfied. Happy are the kind and merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Happy are those whose hearts are pure, for they shall see God. Happy are those who strive for peace. They shall be called the sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted because they are good, for the kingdom of heaven is Theirs. Happy or blessed are those. In it is another way of of saying, Oh, how happy, how satisfied and fulfilled will the person be who models these fundamentals, fundamental attitudes. Blessed comes from the Greek word, the Greek term makarios, which means a very special kind of joy, 
which is serene and untouchable and self-contained. That joy which is completely independent of all the chances and changes of life. Blessed. 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 The third observation I want to bring across, each of the Beatitudes has a corresponding promise. If you pause for a moment to glance over the Beatitudes, you shall notice that each has come, has the same basic structure. Blessed are, it says in the beginning. Jesus mentioned a distinctive mark. He gets on saying, for, and thus giving a very specific promise. Jesus sets forth a particular benefit for each particular quality. In fact, if you take the time to study those promises, you will have no difficulty understanding why this series of attitudes will lead to true makarios, to true happiness, to a foundational happiness that come, does not come otherwise. There is no way around. This is the way to be blessed. Now let's analyze these Beatitudes. Since the wisdom of the Beatitudes is so richly and, and concentrated, we shall limit ourselves this morning today uh, just to the first four ones. We shall look and analyze the other four, God willing, uh, next Sunday. Let us observe Jesus' words carefully so that we might reproduce uh, every shade of their meaning in our own lives. And that's very important. It will not change our life if we just listen. And this is why the Lord Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount. It's like a house that is built on a rock. This is a, our, the, the house of our life built on a rock if we take these blessings into our life and practice them. So the first is uh, talking about the poor in spirit. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. On the surface, it appears as if Jesus is saying, happy are those who have little or no money to pay their bills or buy food. That would probably the conception of what Jesus is saying here. But actually, he's not talking about the poor um, in the pocketbook, rather the poor in the spirit. And tracing this in 
in its um, historical roots, in uh, especially in in in, Jew, in Jewish culture, clarifies the meaning of this kind of poverty. The Jews had a special uh, way of using the word inverted commas poor. The two Hebrew words have a kind of a four-stage development uh, in their meaning. And I think it's important to get a, a decent understanding of this. First, they began by just meaning simply poor. Second, they went on to mean because poor, therefore having no influence, no power or help or prestige in that way. And thirdly, they went on to mean because having no influence, therefore oppressed of man. And finally, they came to describe the man who because he has no earthly resources whatsoever puts his whole trust. He puts his whole life into the balance. He puts his whole trust in God. Now, if we understand this, we would also understand what kind of blessing it is to um, be poor in the spirit. It means Blessed is the man who has realized his own utter helplessness and who has put his whole trust in the only God. The indispensable condition of receiving the promised kingdom of heaven is acknowledging our own spiritual poverty. Even though who have already confessed that poverty and received salvation through faith in Christ must earnestly, earnestly um, cultivate this kind of very special attitude. And to neglect is to invite the same kind of self-sufficient complacency as disgusted and sickened the Lord about the church in Laodicea that we read of in Revelation three fifteen to 17, where Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. My brothers and sisters in Christ, acknowledging your own neediness is the very humble birthplace of authentic servanthood. And if that is the topic over your 
church here, there, you can, you need to listen to this. Well, poor in the spirit. Let's go to the next one. Those who mourn. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word used here for mourn is the strongest word for mourning in the, the Greek language. It is the word which is used for mourning for the dead, for the passionate lament for the, for one who was loved. And I guess most of us have gone through, through this um, deep mourning as you have maybe have lost a loved one. Such grief conveys deep sorrowing in the heart, an abiding ache of the soul over cruelties in the world, of shattering personal loss or one own destructive sinfulness. At the core of this specific character, it is the picture of someone with a compassionate heart. Paraphrased, the Beatitude might read as follows. Blessed is the man who cares intensely for the sufferings and for the sorrows and for the need of others. Servants who manifest this specific feature of character. You know what Christ promises to them? They shall be comforted. This is the promise that Jesus gives us as we grieve, as we mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's go ahead with the third one, the gentle one. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Many have sarcastically interpreted this to say, Blessed are the weak, for they shall be walked on by others. Because the word gentle or meek, as the old um, King, Trans, King James Version puts it, is over often perceived as meaning someone who is powerless, weak, and spineless. In Jesus' day, however, the Greek term for gentle denoted strength under control. Strength under control. Like a wild horse which has been tamed. This is the exact word that is used here in the Greek. It can also mean carefully chosen words that calm down strong emotions. Do you know how much wisdom it needs to calm down emotions? 
ointment that takes the sting out of the wound. That is the meaning of gentle. Tenderness with those who are afraid or in pain. Gentleness. A sense of politeness, tact, courtesy, and respect. Paraphrased, the, this special beatitude might read, How happy are those servants who respect others by dealing carefully with their feelings. Listening closely to their words and calming those who are uncontrolled. For they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those. Yes, you can be happy. If that is the kind of beatitude shown in your life. Gentleness. To many Christians who struggle to get by while so many ruthless people prosper, the promise of inheriting the earth seems hard to believe. We really do not often see it happening now. So we wonder, when will this inheritance be ours to enjoy? I think the answer is twofold. Literal fulfillment will ultimately come in the future, and the Bible talks a lot about this. Symbolic fulfillment can also happen in the present, now. There is a sense in which the gentle shall inherit the, the earth now. For the gentle man, the gentle man, is the man who is satisfied and therefore content. Paul was such a man as he writes in 2 Corinthians 6.10. He was possess possessing all things. He wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, um, 21 to 23. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or present or future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. How happy. Blessed are those that are gentle. And then let's finish with the fourth one, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This final character quality discussed in this chapter, in this chapter includes what we might call um, survival appetites, hunger and thirst. Just as both these drives are basic in our 
in our physical survival, so they are also essential in our spiritual growth. In 2 Kings 18, we are, um, we look, the Bible looks at a King Hezekiah, and he had a special quality. And this quality is described in 2 Kings 18, 5 to 6. It says here, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following. He kept the commands of the Lord had given Moses. In other words, King Hezekiah had a, had a passionate appetite for righteousness, a heart that clings to the Lord. Um, I'd like to compare it with um, this passage in uh, Genesis 2.24 that is often quoted when you do weddings. I've done several weddings um, and I was also at one stage asked to to speak about this special sap, uh, passage in scriptures in Genesis 2.24 on this specific wedding. And it says here, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is clinging or cleaving his wife and they become one flesh. It implies a, a longing to be with someone. It implies deep, passionate love. It implies enjoyment in being with someone and it implies spending much time together. To cleave to God implies that we are intensely in pursuit of Him. It means that we desire to spend time with Him, to walk with Him, to talk with Him, to know Him as He would any other friend and to be close to Him, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, however, is not limited to just looking upward and longing for some kind of holiness. It also involves looking around and being grieved, terribly grieved about corruption around us. Grieved about things that are happening around us. The iniquities and the moral compromises that are abound. And wanting to live in a way that stands against the wrongs in life. For those who possess a passionate appetite for vertical and Horizontal holiness, Jesus promises one thing. They shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. 
The Greek term for satisfied comes from the word fodder or grass, meaning to feed and fatten cattle. It is a familiar word picture of contentment, the servant who hungers and thirsts of righteousness will find those appetites abundantly satisfied in Christ Jesus alone. I experienced this kind of being thirsty uh, about uh, two years ago when uh, walking in Papua New Guinea through um, the bush landscape there. We were moving up and uh, going into a, a rural, a very rural area outside uh, of the little town where we used to live, Biala, and there wasn't much to drink. At the end of the day, they, uh, our brothers and sisters out in the bush, they offered us something to eat but no drink. And as I got up to get to the place where we should um, uh, stay overnight, I just had a breakdown. I could not, no longer walk. In fact, my brothers and sisters over there, two brothers took me on one side and another brother took me on the other side. I could no longer walk because I was empty of, put it like that, empty of water. I was so thirsty that my mind was just blurred. I could no longer stand upright. So, well, we went to a place where we really shouldn't stay overnight, but I could no longer walk. So they placed us on a, on a kind of made up uh, bush bed. There wasn't a mattress. Um, uh, and I put my head down and at night at maybe at three o'clock or so, I, I just became so restless. And uh, nobody was, of course, awake. Um, I just saw a brother who turned around. So I, I asked him, brother, please, would you bring me some water? I'm thirsty. And then I drank, I think, three liters of water. And then I slept like a baby. And the next morning, well, I was again on fire. Thirsty. It is a very, very deep kind of thing if we are thirsty. So this is the kind uh, of expression the Lord Jesus is using here. So I understand that. Thirsty. Um, Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, in any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. There are 
some answers, some preliminary questions to answer. And as we ponder on this passage of Scripture, let's ask ourselves briefly these hard questions that are necessary to deal with serving God to one another, serving people in this world, and serving, of course, uh, the Lord Jesus. And may I ask you just to bow, bow before the Lord, and briefly ask these hard questions. My brother and sister, may I ask you, may I dare to ask you, is your and my lifestyle any different from the world around you? Do I care? Do I take what Jesus is saying seriously enough or wrestle with and change? With significant impact will the ideas from these first few Beatitudes have on my life today? May I ask you this, the same question again as I asked in the, in the beginning? Are you different? Are you different? If you were to strip away all the spiritual activities like attending Grace Church and Bible studies, get rid of the plagues and t-shirts with scripture on them, would people still notice a difference about your life? Would there be a, a discernible difference between you and the person next door who does not know Christ? The sad truth is that many of us measure our difference as Christians solely by outward appearances. Jesus, however, draws his conclusions by examining our heart to see if we are poor in spirit, compassionate, gentle, and thirsting for righteousness. These are differences the Lord notices. Jesus pays attention to those that come up with these kind of four beatitudes in their heart and um, discipleship moves. And by the way, it's not only Jesus. The world does as well. Those around you, they will notice it. So you can't hide. Are you different? Really? Before you answer that question, take a look in the mirror of the four attitudes we looked at this morning and see how much of you is reflected in each of them. My fellow brothers and sisters, putting on a beatitude is not like trying on a shirt or a pair of shoes. We cannot just 
simply decide today I think I'll wear my poor in spirit attitude and for tomorrow dot 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 I will wear another thing. Let's see how about gentleness. Oh no, no, that will definitely clash with the business meetings I've planned. Oh I I I I know morning Everybody loved my compassionate, coordinated look the last time I wore it. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Yet some Christians attempt to put on the Beatitudes like, um, just like that, almost, almost as if they were playing dress up. Qualities like hungering and thirsting for righteousness, however, are tailor made to fit only the inner man. So how do we put on this new self Jesus describes here? The same way we learned as children to button our own shirts and tie our own shoes. You know how we learn it? You know how we learn it? Practice. 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 Yet it can be frustrating because it's too slow at times, but we are encouraged by the Apostle Paul. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore, Because there are so many hard things in life. Some things we can accept. Many things we can't. At least for the time being. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. The more we practice the Beatitudes day by day, the less these attitudes will be something we consciously put on and more something we have become, we have grasped. What are some specific situation currently going on at your workplace? If you're still at work. What are the issues that you are getting through with a friend of yours or at home where the four beatitudes we talked about this morning could be practiced just to start from today to the next week. I may ask next week again about it. Practice what you teach. Do what Jesus says. In Matthew 5, 3 to 6, 6, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's the poverty of spirit. It's the mourning and gentleness. It's the hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's practice these things as we follow in the footsteps of Christ. May he encourage you. May he strengthen you. May he give you joy abundant to follow in his footsteps. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. And indeed, we, I need to confess that ever so often I flacked of poverty in spirit. I did not mourn. Gentleness was out of sight. Hunger and thirst for righteousness wasn't there. We thank you that it is your grace that brings us home. Even though we are on our way, we're still on our way to follow you. We thank you for your grace. And we are humbled by it. And we see, Lord Jesus, you on the cross, paying for our sins, loving us with a agape love that nobody else has, only you. We thank you that your love is strong enough to carry us through as we struggle and yet put our eyes on you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray also for Günther. We pray for those that were with us this morning, wherever they are around the globe, in whatever city in Africa or Asia or America they are. Help us together. Help us in togetherness to cling on to the grace of the Lord Jesus. To keep on running the race that is before us. We thank you for the fellowship we can enjoy with people around the globe. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that the day will come where we share eternity together in your presence. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for, love, for your loving care. And thank you for being with us the next weeks and the, in the days to come. Thank you for you are strong. You have the power. Your mercy never ends. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, name we pray. Amen.